first two verses of this text, it, just, it sums up a whole lot. It, just, just three sentences. Luke's like, hey, here, here's what happened. There's a guy named Matthew. Luke calls him Levi, but we know him as Matthew. Matthew, is a, he's a tax collector. He's sitting in his tax booth. Jesus said, follow me. And he left everything and follow him. Then moves on with the story. And it's easy to do that because you're somewhat familiar with the story. Most of you, like Matthew was a tax collector and he became one of the disciples. He wrote the gospel of Matthew. So like, we know how the story continued. But those three sentences, it's, it's easy to just kind of read them and pass through them and for, like, ignore the drama of the moment. This is a big moment. This story should have been shocking, and it would have been shocking to the original audience. I mean, they, they know the stigma of being a tax collector. They know that this is a big, big deal. And, and sometimes with these stories that are familiar and, and it's just summed up so quickly, it's just, oh, yeah, I remember Matthew became a disciple and we move on. I, I want to stop. I want to just take a moment, and I want to try to crawl into the story. And I don't know, any Chosen, the Chosen fans in the house, like fans of the Chosen, that TV series, it's, it's really, really good, y'all. It's not perfect, but it's really, really good. And I love the Chosen for a lot of different reasons, but, but one is because it kind of helps you crawl into the story a little bit and kind of embrace the moment, the drama, the, the kind of the imagination part of it, the creativity part. It, it, you know, the Chosen doesn't make the Bible come alive. The Bible is alive. It's a living and active book. But the chosen can help you kind of crawl into it, take a moment to take a familiar story and see a different perspective. And, and the story here that's summed up in three sentences, I just thought it was worth a moment. It's worth even showing that scene of, uh, the, of Jesus calling Matthew, like taking a couple minutes and watching that. I thought about acting it out, but like y'all don't want to see that. So they do it so much better. So we're going to take a few moments just to watch this video clip from the chosen when Jesus calls Matthew. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes.
I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Like, just embracing the moment, embracing the drama of the moment, the, the shock on Matthew's face. Me? me? The, the surprise on the other disciples. Peter, like, wait, wait, wait. Jesus, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what he's done. I, I, before I watched The Chosen, I don't think I'd ever even considered the fact that the other disciples would have despised Matthew. Like everybody else would have despised him. He's a tax collector. And we talked about this last week. If you were here, Kai was talking about Zacchaeus, who was another tax collector. So there's two different encounters with tax collectors. And there was this common understanding that a tax collector was synonymous with sinner. These guys were the worst in society. The Romans occupied Israel, and so they submitted to the Roman government. They had to pay taxes to Caesar, pay taxes to the Roman government. And they, the Romans employed Jewish citizens to collect those taxes. And they were required to pay a certain amount of taxes to Rome, but they would take more than they needed, and they would just keep it for themselves. So the tax collectors, for the most part, became wealthy by cheating their fellow countrymen, but countrymen by cheating their brothers. Like they would take from them more than they needed to take so that they could become wealthy and then they were despised, but at least they had enough for themselves. They were the worst. They were, they were traitors. They were liars. They were thieves. Like they were the worst of the worst. And when Jesus calls Matthew and says, follow me, it's supposed to shock us all a little bit. Like, what, what's going on? And, and what we're doing with this Advent series is we're, we're talking about worth the wait, that Jesus was promised from the, from the garden, really before the foundation of the world, but from the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, like the promise was that Jesus was going to come, the Messiah would come and make all things right, and they waited for centuries. They waited for years and years and years for the Messiah to come, and, and we're talking about the fact that it's worth the wait. He was worth the wait. And one of the ways you see that is all the reasons why he says he came. And this is one of those passages where he says, I have come for this reason. And so crawling into the story and embracing the moment, just don't just rush by it. Like seeing and, and kind of feeling the weight of this moment of Jesus calling Matthew, this sinner, this tax collector, to follow him. I think we can make some observations that will help all of us celebrate Christmas, prepare our hearts to celebrate, and really Way beyond that, of course. And the first one is this, that Jesus came to call sinners like us. Jesus came to call sinners. That's what he says at the end of this. And we're going to get to the party that he's having here when the Pharisees start complaining. And Jesus answers in verse 31 and says, hey, those who are well have no need of a physician, but it's those who are sick who need a doctor. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came, what he says, he came, he showed up to call sinners like Matthew, who's the worst, who's no one would have thought Jesus would call him. And what, what we need to see in the story as we crawl down into it a little bit is that in the story, if you want to know who you and I are in the story, we're, we're Matthew. 
That's who we are. We, we're the worst. The Bible says that because of our sin and our rebellion that we, we became enemies of God, that we walked away from him. We said, God, my way is better than your way. We decided to live our own lives, and we wandered away from him. We, we wandered to chase after other things. We, we have idols, all these different things that caused this separation. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We are like Matthew, we have become enemies of God and we need somebody to help us. And so what we need to kind of do as we embrace the stories, embrace the role that all of us have, that we're all just like Matthew. We all needed a Savior just as much as Matthew did. No, no matter how bad that people thought he was, Jesus called him to follow him. And no matter how bad you and I think we are, Jesus calls us to follow him. There's so much good news in the gospel here because it doesn't matter if you think tax collectors got nothing on me. Man, you should see all the things I've done. God doesn't want anything to do with me anymore. Here's a picture of the worst person in society of Jesus calling, come and follow me. That invitation is for every single one of us. Like we are all called to follow Jesus. He calls sinners like us. And he says, hey, if you, if you don't know that you need that, you'll, you'll, you, won't, you won't follow me. It's the people that know that they have that need. It's the people that recognize that we all are just like Matthew and we all, the, the level ground at the foot of the cross, that we all needed a savior. We all needed to be rescued. We're all in the same boat. We're, every single one of us had the same story that we need that. And, and it's this temptation all of us in our culture and our society and just human nature is to always act like we don't need that, to think that we can figure it out, that we got it, we're, we're in control, we don't need any help, and we gotta come to this understanding. We gotta embrace the fact that we're Matthew in the story so we understand we need help. Uh, I, I know some of you in this room are these kind of people, and it's amazing to me, but some of you in this room, some of you choose to go to the doctor when you're not sick. Some of you do. I mean, props to you, that's, that's great. Like I know we should be doing well checks and all those kinds of things and, all, and it's all important. I'm not saying it's not, it's just that it's really hard for me to go to the doctor when I'm not sick. In fact, it's really hard for me to go to the doctor when I'm sick. My wife's a nurse and she will tell you like, I, I, I will fight a sinus infection for days and I'm struggling and I'm suffering. And she's like, why haven't you gone to the doctor? And I'm like, I'm not quite dead yet. I think I'll go for a walk. I mean, she, she knows I won't do this. And then if, the other side's true, like if I actually tell her, hey, I called the doctor, I'm going to go to the doctor at 2 o'clock today, she's like, oh, wow, you are really, really sick. And that's what Jesus is saying. Like when, when you recognize you have a need, you go to the person who can help you. And what he's trying to teach us is that every single one of us have this need. We have this ultimate need to be made right with God, to be restored to him. We damaged the relationship. We became enemies with God, but Jesus reconciles us to God because of what he did for us. He restores us to a right relationship. His life, his death on the cross for us in our behalf brings us back into a right standing. And we all desperately need that because we're all sinners like Matthew. Uh, Kai said, when he was talking about Zacchaeus last week, he said his first point was we must be aware of our need for Jesus. That's what he's trying to remind. Like, we all have the same need. We need a Savior. We don't need a little help. We need someone to save us from our sins. And so the invitation is for every single one of us. He calls sinners just like us. And here's, here's the problem. If we don't embrace the fact that we're Matthew, then what we end up being in this story is we end up being the Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisees, just so we're clear, they were the church people. And what they did is they acted like they had it all together all the time. 
They acted like they were fine. In fact, they were, their whole purpose was to be righteous by doing enough good things. They were keeping the rules. They loved rules. They made up new rules so they could have more rules to keep. And anybody who didn't keep the rules, they pointed that out and said, you guys are wrong. You guys need help. We're fine. Look to us. They were self-righteous in every sense of that phrase like this is who the Pharisees were and if you're not Matthew if you don't understand your need then you end up in this other side being a Pharisee going yeah I'm fine I'm good and then you come into church you come into worship on a Sunday and you try to do this thing that we all kind of are tempted to do where we make it look like we're fine we're man I'm good everything's perfect everything's good and the Pharisees were not the heroes of the story. They were on the outside looking in. The, the, the church people wanted to make it look like they had it all together. They were missing the point because they thought we're going to be righteous on our own. And Jesus is trying to teach us. When he says he didn't come to call the righteous, he's not saying, hey, all you righteous people are fine. He's trying to show you that no one's righteous. In fact, the Bible's really, really clear about that. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, as, as it is written, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So just in case you're the person sitting in here thinking, I'm glad everybody else is hearing this today because I got it all figured out. Not even one. No, not one. All have sinned. Everybody's turned away. No one seeks for God. Like that's, we're all in that boat together. We need a doctor. We need help. I was reading this this week, Mike McKinley in Luke 1 through 12 for you. Here's how he said it. Just sums it up really well. When you go to the doctor, you know you're sick and you know you need help. That's the kind of person that Jesus is calling That's the kind of person who's willing to leave what he has and follow after him. That's the kind of person who winds up as a friend of Jesus, the the one who knows he is desperately sick with sin. And so we want to be Matthew in the story. We want to know how bad we need Jesus so we can respond when he calls us. And the other side of that, we don't want to be the Pharisee. We don't want to be pointing fingers. Hey, you're not keeping the rules. I keep the rules. You're not doing it right. You're you're messing up. The self-righteous path doesn't work. That's Jesus said, I didn't come to call the people who thought they were fine. I came to call the people that knew they needed help. That's who he's there for. Jesus came to call sinners like us. So if you blew it this week, or you blew it this month, or you blew it this year, or you've been blowing it for a while, you've messed up. This week you've had a rotten week and you've messed up as a parent. This, this week you've messed up as a kid. You're not, you're, not, you're not doing a good job. This week you've messed up with relationships. This week you've messed up in your marriage. This week you're, you're struggling. You're, so, you're, you're, you're making mistakes. You've walked away. You've, you've, you're prone to wander and you feel it, right? Like if, you, if that's your story, guess what? This is the place for you. This is a place for us, the broken, the wounded, the people who've been beat up by the battle to come back and be reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, to be reminded of who we are because of what he's done for us, to be reminded of the truth every single week, to sing the truth, all the different things. This is where we're supposed to be, not to come in here and go, yeah, I got it all figured out. I'm great. I'm good. No, we come here because we're in need of help all the time. I need that before I go back out into the battle tomorrow. I need this reminder. You're in the right place. Jesus came to call sinners like us, like, like all of us. That, don't miss this next part. 
because it tells us what that means to respond to him. And, and here's how we'll say that. Jesus calls us to repentance. Jesus is calling Matthew to follow him, but the call of Jesus is always a call that includes repentance. And repentance is not the most popular thing to talk about in our culture today, but in the Bible, in the scriptures, it's really, really popular. Jesus talks about it all the time. The Bible, the New Testament prophets, uh, apostles, they talk about it all the time. That to believe in Jesus is to repent. And the word repentance means to turn away from something and turn to something else. It's both. It's not just turning away, but it's turning to the right thing. So repentance is turning away from this feeling that I got this, I'm good, I don't need any help. And turning to Jesus and admitting, no, I need help. I, I need a rescuer. I need a, I need a redeemer. It, it's turning away from our sin. I keep chasing after the wrong thing. I keep making the wrong choice. I keep going down the wrong path. And it never, ever ever gives me what I think it was going to give me. It makes false promises, and we turn away from our sin, and we turn to Jesus, and we say, I want what you have for me. I want to follow you. I want to be on your path. I want to obey your instructions. It's turning away from our self-righteousness, thinking that I'm just going to be good enough by keeping all the rules, and I won't even need any extra help or anything like that, and turning to Jesus and saying, no, what I need is the righteousness that comes from God as a gift of God by faith. I need that righteousness because the mind's not ever going to work and repentance is what he calls us to to turn away from sin to turn away from self-righteousness turn away from feeling like we got it all under control and turn to him admit your need and follow him put your faith and trust in him and and that happens for a moment there's a moment here where it happens for Matthew this picture that you just saw and, and that we just read of Matthew leaving the tax booth and leaving his old life behind, never to go back. He's not ever going to go back and be a tax collector again. He's not, that's not even an option for him. He's walked away from Rome, and he's leaving all of that behind. That's a picture of repentance. I mean, that's what his Roman friend there who works with him is telling him, like, Matthew, you're throwing it all away. Are you sure you want to do this? Matthew, no Jew lives as good as you do. Because you have all the money, you have a protection of Rome, like you have it all. I mean, you may not have friends, right, but you have everything that you need. Your life is so comfortable, and you're throwing that all away to follow this guy? And Matthew's like, yes, because it's a picture of repentance. Zacchaeus meets Jesus, and he's like, hey, I've been stealing and cheating, and half the, the people that I stole from, I'm going to give them I'm going to give them back four times what I took from them. And I'm going to give half of my stuff, all of my possessions, I'm going to give it to the poor. It's a picture of repentance. It's leaving behind something, turning to Jesus. And for Matthew, this is the moment that it happens where he moves from death to life, where he moves from darkness to light because he turns away from his sin and he turns to Jesus, turns away from his self-righteousness, turns to Jesus. And um, that moment happens for every one of us. I hope it's happened for you. If it hasn't happened for you, let's have a conversation. Let's, let's have a conversation. Have a conversation with somebody that invited you or somebody sitting next to you. Like, let's have a conversation about what it means to repent and put your faith in Jesus. It happens for every one of us in a moment. But it also is a part of the rhythm of our lives as a follower. Because we, we are prone to wander. And we'll, we'll, we'll turn away and we'll, even from Sunday to Sunday, right, we can turn away from him and, and follow after our own way and, and chase sin or chase something else. And, and so we need this constant, like, this rhythm in our life of confessing, repenting, turning away from us and back to him, turning away from sin and back to him. And it's a part of the rhythm that we kind of embrace as a follower. It's one of the reasons why we do the Lord's Supper weekly here, because 
the Lord's Supper is kind of the end of where we've been going on this journey. We've been worshiping and singing the truth, and we've been worshiping by listening to the teaching of his word. And in that whole process, like God's working through his spirit to point out things in our lives, to show us different things so that we know that, yeah, we've messed things up this week. And he's reminding us of who he is and what he's done and how he invites us back. And so in that moment of the Lord's Supper, we were called to examine ourselves and to like maybe confess some things and repent in that moment before we step up to his table and partake of it as the family of God together. And it's, it's a part of the rhythm for us to constantly be repenting. Jesus calls us to follow him. He calls us to repent, to turn away and to turn to him. Calls us to repentance. And so that, that's the gospel all in that story right there, but I don't want you to miss this last part because the next scene in the story is a party at Matthew's house for all of Matthew's tax collector friends. Because Matthew doesn't have any other friends. The only people that would associate with Matthew are tax collectors, just like him, traitors, thieves. And the next scene in the story, Matthew's having a party with all of his tax collector friends so that he can introduce them to Jesus. And in this story and in all of Scripture, what we see over and over again is this truth, that Jesus calls us to follow him on mission. When we answer his call, when we repent and turn away from whatever it is and turn to him and put our faith in him, we're now followers of Jesus. We're following him, and that following is always missional. It's always on a mission. So the Matthew decides to follow him. God, Jesus chooses him as a follower, and he, he responds to that, and he's following him now. And the next thing is, let's go have a party at your house, Matthew. Bring some of your friends so they can meet me too. Matthew goes, throws a party because the next thing he wants to do is introduce his friends to this Jesus that he just met, that met his ultimate need. Like he so uh, understands what Jesus is doing in that moment. He's like, I, I got friends that need to hear this. I got friends that are just as desperate as me. I got friends that need to be included in this. And so that's the next thing he does. Following Jesus is following him on mission. So here's a question for you from this story, from this text. Who are your friends that you need to introduce to Jesus? You got some friends that you can introduce them to Jesus, to join him on mission by just inviting them in? If you're a student right now, you're one of our youth or one of our kids, like you got friends at school, you got friends on the team, you got friends at the club, you got friends, whatever activity you're in, that you can invite into this, invite to come and join you, invite to come to Wednesday night when our youth are meeting or our Compass kids are meeting, come, come and join that group, and so you get to introduce them to Jesus and Jesus' people. Who are your friends that need to be invited into this? If you're an adult in here and you got work friends, you got neighbor friends, you got people you interact with, you got friends that are your friends because your kids are friends with their kids, or you're on the team with them, who, who are you inviting into this? Now, let, let me stop and say this. If you're a follower of Jesus, your closest friends need to also be followers of Jesus. This is a battle we're in. We're in a spiritual war. And so we need other people walking alongside of us, helping us, encouraging us in that, in that battle. That's why community groups are so big here. We need people like your closest friends need to be followers of Jesus. But then you have these other friend groups that Jesus has put you in so that you can be on mission there and invite them into what he's doing. Invite them to meet him and introduce your friends to Jesus. Who are your friends? Maybe you have a name in mind. Maybe you have a whole group of people. 
Who are your friends that you need to invite in? There's a, there's a Christmas party for our youth here this Wednesday. <laughs> Bunch of tax collectors. Um, and like, who do you need to invite to that? Here's the second question. Where would Jesus want to go? Like when Jesus shows up, he's like, hey, Matthew, let's go to your house with all your tax collector friends. The Pharisees are like, that's not the place you should go. Just so you know, the Pharisees' whole salvation project was a separation project. The Pharisees are like, hey, um, we're going to separate ourselves from the world, and we won't be stained by all that sin, and we're going to remove ourselves so that we'll be righteous. And the Pharisees believe if you went to have dinner with a tax collector that you would become unclean. If you did that, Jesus shows up, turns everything upside down. He goes and eats with tax collectors and Jesus doesn't become unclean. He makes the tax collector clean. And so where would he want to go? Where, where, would, where would he want to enter in, like join you in the mission? Where, where, where would he lead you? Uh, if you're new to Crosspoint, you don't know this, but our students, every spring break, our students go and serve at something called Launchbox where they serve refugees uh, in San Antonio, Fort Worth, somewhere in Texas. People that have come to America, come to Texas to live because of persecution. They had to flee their homeland for one reason or another, and they've come to live here, and they're starting life over. Sometimes they didn't even bring anything with them, and they're starting everything over. They're figuring out everything. They don't even know anybody here. And our students will go and serve them on spring break and serve and engage refugees every single year. We do this. Our students give up their ski trips. They give up their beach trips. They give up all these different kinds of things to go serve refugees. Why? Because that's where Jesus would want to go. There's a need there. People that, most of those people have never even heard about him because they've come from countries where there's no access to the gospel and our students get to go in and show the love of Jesus to them and introduce them to Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, let's go on mission. Where would Jesus want to go? He'd want to go to the people in need like that. Some of our students go and serve in Japan every summer. Why do they go serve in Japan? Because Jesus wants to go to Japan. There's 128 million people that live in Japan, and less than 50,000 of them believe in Jesus. Most of them have never even heard his name. Sounds like a place Jesus would want to go. He'd want us to go and join him on mission what he's doing in Japan. Our students serve in New York, same kind of reason, people there from all over the world. Our, our, we have adults that serve on mission teams in Honduras and different places, but we also have community groups and all, all, all kinds of opportunities right here in our community, right here where there are needs. And it's, it's kind of asking the question, where would Jesus want to go? Where are the needs that he would want us to meet? Join him on mission. I got friends that I need to introduce to Jesus, and there's needs all around me and all over the world that I can join Jesus on mission in those places. That's what he's calling us to do. The call that Jesus gives us is a call to follow him on mission. And it's a call for every single one of us. Every single one of us has a part to play in this thing. It doesn't matter what you've done, how far away you've run. doesn't matter what you did yesterday, this week, this year, whatever. He's inviting you into this. Every single person has a place. Now, there's a commentary I was looking at this week for Luke, uh, the Reform Expository Commentary, Philip Graham Ryken. He sums up the whole passage so well. I want to read it to you. I want to share it with you. Here, and he's talking about this passage that we just looked at. Here Jesus makes one of his great mission statements. He announces who he is and what he has come to do. He explains the purpose for which he left the splendors of heaven and came down to earth. He did not come to save the righteous. He did not come to spend time with people who had it all together. Rather, he came to save the people who really needed him. Messed up, broken down, 
law-breaking sinners like me, like us. And we get to thank him for that. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this story that teaches us so much, even about ourselves, what you've done with the invitation that you give us. That Jesus, that we're so thankful that you accomplished something that we could not accomplish for ourselves, that you made a way where there was no way, that you came to rescue us because we needed to be rescued. And so Jesus, I pray that you will help us as people in this season of Advent to celebrate that, to focus on that, to think through that, to respond to that, to follow you, to repent where we need to repent, to confess what we need to confess, and to follow you and join you on mission where you're at work all around us and all over the world. We thank you for that. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.